Hello, listeners. This is Jamie Lynch, your host for the Eating Habits Podcast. I'm so excited to welcome you all to our premiere episode. Today, I'm going to be speaking with my business partners, Patrick Whalen and Alejandro Torrio. It's going to be a really nice conversation about the future. Many and most of you are familiar with our origin story and kind of how we got together about a decade ago or over a decade ago to launch Five Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. But this conversation is about the future. I know everybody's had a rough couple years with the pandemic. We have two, we feel you, but I want to look to the future. I want to talk about what inspires us and how we made it through and what we're going to do to help heal the restaurant and hospitality business moving forward. Without any further ado, here's Patrick Whalen and Alejandro Torrio on Eating Habits. We are live. Today, I'm here with Patrick Whalen and Alejandro Torrio, the elusive Alejandro on our podcast. And today, guys, I want to talk about, I don't want to get totally, I don't, I don't want to do a origin story conversation. I think that that's well documented all over everywhere. So people, if you want to know about our origin story, just, I don't know, do some research. It's out there. Um, today, I want to talk about the other side of the pandemic and what the future holds for Fifth Street Group and the changes that we've made since the shutdown and where we're going to go from here. Sound good? Yes. Yes. <laughs> awesome. All right. Who wants to go first? Who? Uh, Alejandro, tell me a little bit about. Well, it's my first podcast, so. Well, welcome aboard, my man. It's going to we'll go easy on you. Please. Okay, cool. So, um, so let's start here. What was the pandemic situation like for you when we, you know, when we had the restaurants closed down, when we were trying to figure out how we're going to get through all this super stressful time for everybody. Once it became clear that we were going to be able to reopen our restaurants, right? Cause there was a large period where we weren't sure what was going to happen, but then, but then there was a point we figured out that we definitely would be able to reopen. What was that like for you? What were you thinking about at that time? And kind of what was the focus for you? moving into the reopen i mean i was it was a relief that we know where we're gonna what we have to do now still that thing we didn't know you know what was gonna happen were people gonna go out to eat dinner were people gonna go out at all it was still one of those things where if we were gonna get any business it was that unforeseen still obviously seeing things in the news all the time we're like okay people are staying home still you know we got a shot here to try to you know try to change things a little bit, reopen, whatnot. But I, I was still terrified. I was, I, I just didn't know if, if it was going to work. Um, but you know what? You know, we just put our sleeves up, make it happen, I guess, like we always do. And, you know, obviously in the beginning it was very hard, especially navigating between, what, two states then and, and, and between North Carolina and South Carolina. And then I think we were in the middle of building out in Tennessee, 2021, yep. Um, so... That was even harder, you know, between the different laws that you have to learn, um, different mandates, things like that. But, you know, we made it happen, and, and we're here now almost uh, a year later, right? Yeah, yep. almost a year later. Yep. Um, Nashville is uh, finally opened. Um, we opened in September. Uh, I've been living there full-time, so it's doing very well. I see, sh you know, we see Charleston do extremely well, and Charlotte doing very well. So, yeah. I mean, at the present moment, I, we feel very good about it, I think. I think you guys agree with me. Um, yeah. So, 
you know, well, we'll get, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. We're going to talk about the future here pretty, yeah. pretty soon. At that time, was your concern mostly about what was going to happen at the restaurants? Were people going to be receptive to going out? Was business going to be enough to sustain or was there something else to it? You know, was it a fear of getting sick? Was it a fear of like, what are social habits going to be like? Yeah, I think it's, it's a combination of everything, you know, yeah. between people saying, should I even go out or should I just stay home or, uh, you know, it's just just didn't know you know obviously um but we all had to reopen we couldn't stay closed forever you know going to debt and all that stuff so yeah i mean i i honestly i hate to like think about it a lot you know yeah, it's totally. like one of those that total gloom and hopefully that's a once in a lifetime thing yeah. that we'll never have to go through again you know it's like we can knock on wood and move on and, and yeah. say we, we live through that got a lot of great hair from that <laughs> Me too. Yeah. That's why I started this new haircut because of because uh, <laughs> of all the gray that <laughs> started on the yeah. sides. I'm like I gotta get the fade so that you can't see all that gray. Um, Pat, what about you? Um, on the other side of the the closures and stuff coming out of that, how were you feeling? What was you were you feeling about the reopen? Uh, it was. I think I agree, I agree with Ollie. I think it was a little nerve wracking just because you're you're more or less reopening restaurants, and in some cases with a new team, new management team, new staff, new menus. Um, that's a lot of work. And so it was simultaneously stressful, but it was also a relief because we were back to doing what we know how to do. Mm -hmm. It's hard to sit on the sidelines, like all I said, and just like wait and hope. It's, it's a better feeling to like feel as though you can put some of that stress towards things that are productive or ideas. And so I was happy we were back in the restaurants, obviously, making the restaurants go financially was a concern because we were we were really underwater at that point, uh, as I think were most people. But at the end of the day, I think that great product wins. And so as long as we were able to execute, which we, we did, we would ultimately be okay. It just was, it was just a little hairy there for, <laughs> for a little bit. Totally. I think, yeah, I think you nailed it. I, I also was apprehensive, but I was excited. Like when we decided to reopen, I think it kind of goes along with your saying is like getting back to doing what, what I know how to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, finally, because mm -hmm. like, I'm no good right. when I'm not doing that. Right. So there was a little bit of a relief that we were going to be able to get back to it. And I think that we were pretty realistic understanding too, that it wasn't going to be like flipping a switch that we were right. like, Oh, floodgates are open. Let's do it. Also. I, I mean, we had so much to do yeah. that I didn't really have a whole lot of time to think about it. Yeah. I mean, we, if you, if you, if you think about it, starting in, <clears throat> What? August or September of 2020, mm -hmm. we opened Tempest. Right. Then February, we opened Church and Union Charlotte. And then in April, we opened La Belle Helene. Mm -hmm. And then in August, we opened... <laughs> no, September. Sorry, September, September, we opened Church and Union Nashville. Yep. Um, yeah, while we simultaneously were, we were <laughs> doing a deal for Denver, doing another deal in Nashville... Um, opening and then ultimately closing and and wrapping up the deal with Sophia's Lounge. Yeah, I mean we we, we had a just a ridiculous amount of work to do. Um, just on just on its face, forget yeah. about the actual operations themselves. Sure. Just physically opening those places was a was an, an enormous amount of work. Of course, the traveling involved was was the toughest thing I think for me. I'm not sure about you guys, but going between Nashville, Charleston, and Charlotte, then eventually Denver here and there, I w it took a toll on, um, 
on all of us. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, you know, we work hard and we just made it happen. How did we do all that? <laughs> how much, how much of that was, I mean, I, I have an, I have my own opinion as to how we did it, what is but yours? my opinion, yeah. I just think we're fucking badasses to be honest. <laughs> I mean, well, no, I mean, we are, but, but, but more than that, no think, sleep. That's what we did. Yeah. I mean, I think that we are all driven to not fail, you know, and to ex to excel. And so when like those, for me, at least when these like crazy situations arise and it feels like they kind of go in waves, right? Like it's like undulating where not much is going on for a bit. And then it's like, holy shit, we have a lot of work to do. We got restaurants that need to open or we got managers we need to train or or whatever and it kind of happens in like these lumps that i think that we have an amazing team where we're able to get everybody on the same page and then execute it's not always pretty i mean it doesn't always feel good <laughs> but but we get it done i don't know what do you think what do you think al how do how do we get through like actually listening to patrick replay <laughs> our playlist for the past you know 18 months or longer I mean, I didn't include us. Um, I didn't include us opening and closing the restaurants in 2020. Right. How do we do it? In your I opinion. Mean, like, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I guess waking up every day at 530 in the morning did it. Yeah. You know, seven days a week. Getting you know, half a day of work in before, before yeah. the workday starts. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, 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 you get a piece of paper, you write down your little checklist, what you have to do for tomorrow, the next day, the next day after that, make sure you... You know, you cross it all out. That it's done. It's done. It's done, and slowly you start seeing everything, and it comes to light. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we still do that every day. Mm -hmm. So, um, nothing changes. That yeah. was before the pandemic and after, or still present, I guess. You know. So, Pat, what do you think? What is your What's your opinion on how we how we made it happen? Um, <clears throat> well, there's lots of things. Obviously, when you've got this many operations and this many people, you know, you're not doing one thing well, you gotta do a lot of things well, but I don't think we ever viewed it as much of a choice. And it's amazing what you're able to do when choice <laughs> is eliminated and you just, yeah. your life becomes binary and you live fight or flight and you know, we fight. Yeah. So as <laughs> some people may attest to, um, <laughs> you know, and so we, we didn't, I mean, obviously we thought about negative consequences, but um, there was no way not to. The Damocles sword was directly over our heads, but I don't think any of us thought of closing the stores down or, or not making it as a practical option. We just, yeah. that wasn't something that inhabited us at any time in any real serious way. And you just, each day you focus on, like Ali said, like what needs to happen to get through today, to get to tomorrow. Um, and then obviously, I mean, maybe not obviously, but we have a really great team. In fact, something that, you know, we could talk about whether it's during this podcast or separately is that we've done a really terrific job yeah. as ownership building a good team. Yeah, I think, um, I think we should get into that. Next, actually, we should talk. Okay, about so after yeah. the, at, at, tonight at eleven, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 yeah. I think that was <laughs> the big the big thing was yeah. just being able to pick up a phone and call someone and say, "Hey, I need this thing done, mm -hmm. whatever it is." Yep, and then to know that it's done. Right. Um, that's something that that when you are the beneficiary of a great team, is really unmatched in its value. I mean, another thing I think is you know knowing that you were in all that debt, 
and in 2020 seeing those the numbers and then eating ramen and canned goods for a month or two i said to myself i'm not doing this shit again no way i'm gonna you know <laughs> never doing this again that's funny that's not funny sounds are funny yeah that was not an option for sure so what's the team i think we should talk about the team i think cultivating the team is important because it kind of it goes along with what i want to talk about next which is where do we go from here nashville's open it's on pace to do exactly what we expect it to do and to be a great success so that's awesome we had to keep obviously working at that you know labelle i mean that kind of fell in our into our lap no none of us saw that coming that just kind of was an opportunity that kind of arose out of the pandemic and we jumped on it and that has been an amazing success so far knock on wood but i think you guys are both right you know the team is so integral in the success of all of those moves that we made that I think we should talk about that a little bit. We should talk about our teams and, and how we came across them, how we cultivated them. What do you look for, Pat? Like, what is it? I mean, so right now we've got Madison White, VP of operations. She has been, you know, a crutch for, for us as far as getting shit done. I know Adam Hodgson for me is like, I'd be fucking lost without him right mm -hmm. now. Like he has just taken up so much slack and has become just a fucking powerhouse from a, from a management um, side of things for me, from a back of the house perspective. You've got Abby Armstrong, who is, I mean, she's beast mode when it comes to the marketing stuff. I mean, I can't imagine what our team would look like without those guys. How did you find your significant other, <laughs> right? Your, well, I forgot how I, I gotta look back. I guess Abby, Abigail Armstrong, she, I guess she on, um, interviewed online. Uh, maybe it was through Craigslist or Indeed, I don't remember. But I saw uh, her resume. It was interesting. She looked like a person who knew how to do things where she could do produce things on her own. And when I interviewed her, I said, damn, she has good quality. And then we brought her on. And as the years went on, she's been with us for maybe five years, mm -hmm. four years now. I, it sounds I about right. Man, she, she has the same quality traits. She wakes up every day, I think 5, 30, 6 o'clock. She has her checklist. She crosses them all out. Things are done. She gets things done. I mean, in this business, doing marketing, PR, promotions, whatever, it's not a it's not a nine to five, Monday to Friday job. It's a seven day a week job. It's like a twelve hour day. It could happen at six in the morning. It could happen at ten at night. Whatever's going on, you know. The, I, I always believe marketing, and and the promotion sides of the of our. Um, business is is a support system for the restaurant you know I always tell Abby and Abby Abby knows this with all the people she who works for her now is that you know we're the support system for for the restaurants um, you know how the many restaurants people, how many people work work with Abby now I think three okay yeah so it's you Abby and then you have three other people three yeah under them and it's gonna grow I mean I, I I always tell those guys and Abby you know Abby in particular is that you know our business is based on you know the restaurants open what eight o'clock, nine o'clock, and we, we close at two o'clock sometimes. And, and you know, you're gonna get called at one o'clock in the morning. You're gonna get text at 12 o'clock. Doesn't mean it's meant for you, but if it's meant for you, you gotta answer that call. You gotta answer that text. So that job is definitely a 24 hour, seven day a week job. People, it's not a nine to five job. Yep. So that's, and it takes a lot to do that, work, that kind of work. And we, I got lucky, we got lucky, you know, having, we found Abigail. Totally. So. How, how long did it take for you and Abby to kind of cohesively work together like as a unit 
you know? Two years, probably. Yeah. The first year was, you know, slowly. The second year, I think she got my way of thinking. And now, three years, four or five years, whatever it is now, she's like, she's a uh, almost a duplicate of me, yeah. maybe. I'll toot Abby's horn a little bit, too. And I think one of the things that really makes her special, you know, on top of all the things that you mentioned, is that she's able to translate whatever you're doing over there yeah. Like whatever the hell's on your notebook or whatever. Yeah. And communicate it to the rest of the team. Yeah. Like she can communicate to us in a way where it's like, okay, cool. We get what you need. She kind of reads my mind sometimes. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That's awesome. I think she just used to how I want things done. And then, you know, she adapts to it and, you know, might add things to it. That's better for the business because, you know, they are in a younger generation than I am. So totally cool. Pat, how about you? What's up? Um, how did you, like, I know how we, I just did a podcast with Madison, so she, we know her origin story. Mm-hmm. We know kind of where she came from. For you, from your perspective, like identifying her as a potential next leader for us and for you, and then that development, like how that how that happened for you. I mean, her aside, I, I think that the the personality trait that most commonly um, is filled by people that are successful, especially in our business. Um, is that they they do the job regardless of you. Yep. Now, certainly they care about your opinion if you're their boss or someone they look up to, and they learn the job based on the way that you train them, but they don't do the work because they want you to be happy with them, although that's certainly a nice thing. They do the work because it's what you do. It's the right thing to do. You know, you work hard because that's how you work. You don't halfway it. You don't come in and you know, wear just your shirt and no pants. I mean, you, 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 you do it all the way. And so Madison, as well as, I mean, Nick Newton, Daphne, Michael, you know, we have a, we have a lot of young talent. Laurencia's spectacular, you know, that, that is very motivated. And I don't want to leave anybody out with lots of managers. Yeah, so yeah. it's not as though I'm listing people for the purposes of excluding others, but um, we just have a lot of really talented people that, that, that are motivated independent of our um, role. And then our role enhances that by focusing that motivation in, in a way that's productive for them where they can see um, advances in their own skill set. And so it's a, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. An, employee, an employee-employee relationship is, in my view, oftentimes miscategorized as being, you know, somebody's in charge and somebody's not, even though that is functionally how it works. Right. I think an employer-employee relationship, if you want it to be a good one, should be a partnership, always. Um, and whether or not they want to continue to invest or you want to continue to invest in them is a different subject. That's a conversation. Right. But but if you're not looking at every employee that you have as a one-day partner, then in my opinion, you're not doing much of a job. I mean, I would say that we have, I mean, we have, we have a very strong group in our midst right now. It's a good thing because we have big plans, right? We've got a couple new ventures that we're currently working on in the pipeline. Um, Ophelia's in Nashville, which is going to be, how would you describe Ophelia's, Alejandro? An Italian pizza lounge joint. <laughs> An Italian still, pizza lounge joint. We're trying to still figure that out over okay. there, but we'll figure it out in a month or two. And then Church and Union, Denver, which is going to be a big monster operation. Yep. I'm not looking forward to moving all the way out there, but like I said, I put my sleeves up. We're going to go. What's the, what's the plan for that? Um, Do you have a plan for that? Or is I it just kind of like... Patrick's, you know, still dealing with, you know, the build-out kind of stuff that's going on over there. Um, 
Uh, I'm looking at maybe six months before we open there, before hopefully we open by 2023. Um, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we open late. Late, late and we open or yeah, you, you think Q4 2023? I mean, I mean, if things... Oh, excuse me. If things, uh, <laughs> if things go to plan, then it'll be earlier than that. But yeah. things... I, I have yet to see things go to plan when it comes to construction. So Especially right now. I'm going to go ahead and assume... <laughs> late. I think right now we're going to focus on Ophelia's first since that's already happening. Mm-hmm. And we're hoping to open by the end of this year, 2022. So, you know, since I'm in there, living there full time, I'll be there all the time and but chef eventually adams and chef, chef adams, adams there and you guys are there a lot yeah. so um madison's there a lot yeah so we'll work on ophelia's but eventually i'm gonna have to move out there you know and i think i'm trying to convince abby to move out there abigail mm-hmm. um let's see how what's she it, thinks about what's, that what's her take on that right now is she I, open i don't know she's it? she's she's open but you know i i think um you know she, she's half and half right now to going out to denver but it doesn't matter. I, I always believe I was going to be the guy that all goes to go out there anyway. Mm-hmm. So good thing we have these teams, right? So I guess that's the point is that in order to, I mean, I guess expand and open these places, we're going to need to use these teams, you know? Yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, Adam right now is in Nashville, has been there for, I mean, yeah, I mean, a little more than that, eight months at least. Yeah. Um, he'll be there for at least another six months. I think we just hired an executive chef. Um, Adam's not going to go anywhere. I'll bet you. What? You think he's going to stay in Nashville? Yeah. They don't. They hate it there. No, they don't. I think they'll you, stay. You mean they miss the beach? They miss I, th- I think so. I don't know. I mean, she wants to live out west. I could see them going to Denver. You think so? Yeah. Well, I guess we're going to have to figure that one out. Mm. <laughs> it's a predicament. Actually, that would that that, 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 that makes sense. I will say that that would be perfect for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, if he goes, if he goes sense. to Denver. Cool. Uh, that's great. I hope. I mean, I hope that's true. We'll have to, we'll have to circle back on that. Um, well, he used to live out there too. I mean, yeah, he, yeah, he, he lived out he there. He was out there years ago. So we have our executive leadership kind of. You know, they have mm-hmm. those super leadership traits that were easy to see. You know, you can kind of pluck them out of. You know, out mm-hmm. of the group. The and chorus then, line. Out of the chorus. You pick line. them out of the chorus line. You could. Yep. Yeah. It could be a chorus line. That's it an could expression. Be, <laughs> It could be any number of, of groups of things. It could be a gaggle of, <laughs> of, of hens. You'd pick them out. Um, but anyway, so, so you have, we have, you know, we have those people that are, you know, you can identify the leadership in them, right? You're saying you, there are people that are easy to identify? Is that what e- you're trying to yeah, say? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> easy- As opposed to saying this sentence, which is challenging. Go ahead. How, how do you identify the, the staff that you want to invest in mm-hmm. to groom into leadership. Right. What, what are the traits that you look for? How do you pick them out? And then what is the actual you mm-hmm. know, process? process? I mean, the first thing is, and this is probably the same in the kitchen too, I'd imagine, is that, that it's, it's sort of a reciprocal, reciprocated relationship where they say to you they want more, and you say to them they're doing a great job and you want to give them more. And who says it first is not particularly important um but but rather that that relationship is obvious from 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 an early phase which is like okay if you're hired to be a dishwasher and you're like cleaning the whole restaurant and you just take it upon yourself to do responsibilities like i said before that that are not necessarily yours but you're doing because that's what your job is that person if you notice them or if i notice them and say hey would you like to do more and they say yeah i'd like to do some more then suddenly you've got somebody who fits the profile 
of most successful people that we've come across. Um, so I think it starts with that first step. And then obviously giving them the training that they need to be successful in a leadership position is, is the most important thing. You can take somebody who is, has all the natural raw talent in the world and then mess up their training or not give it them any or, or ignore them or whatever. And what's going to end up happening is, is that they're going to get sour, not just on, on your business, but on the restaurant business as a whole because they're talented and they can't do anything with it. And in fact, they're being told this is the next step for you. And the next step is so unappealing that they're, they're unhappy. And so having a, having a good MIT program manager and training program or chef and training program, um, having good people to look up to as a model, not just, you know, the top leadership and say, okay, well, Jamie was once washing dishes or, or, or Pat was once washing dishes, but rather that the next step for them. And then the next step after that are visible. So you're a line cook today. Here's what a lean line cook looks like. You work right next to this person. Here's what a sous chef looks like. They're right over there. Here's what a service manager looks like. They're out front. And, and so it all feels tangible that that path forward for them towards a real career in the industry looks, it feels real because they can see people doing it rather than being some sort of like obtuse, opaque, far away goal that they'll never quite get to. I mean, I think it's just hard trying to find someone to do what I do. I mean, I, I got lucky. I don't even know how you do what you do. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, honestly, I got lucky yeah. finding Abigail, Abby. Yeah. So, um, so we'll go from there. You know, maybe we'll, Abby will find someone else that she could help train or I could find someone else. Because obviously, you know, we're at six restaurants right now, I think. And we're going to eventually be at 10 or 12 in the next, you know, three or four years. Is that number accurate, Pat? I want to hear what your number is. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I mean, we, we know we're going to open two stores, two restaurants in, in, in Denver. I mean, the plan was always two restaurants per city, two or three per city. Um, Denver is the, the next city, and I think we have uh, Scottsdale and Tampa and, and these cities in our, in our minds as well in the, fut- in the future, and Dallas probably. Uh, well, I'm not sure about that. It's getting too high north. It's too cold up there. Too cold. Denver is further north than Kansas City. Uh, it's w- it was it's like 60 degrees in Denver last week. When we were yeah. Like, I was looking at that. I was like, Jesus. I wish I was in Denver today. <laughs> um, so obviously, you know, our team has to grow even bigger. So Yeah. Do you guys think that we have the infrastructure that we need right now to do the growth phase that we're in? In, in other words, to do yes. Ophelia's Yeah, we, we, we do. We ha- I mean, the, the first step is to have the, let's call it the executive level leadership and then the senior level leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have that. And then we also have a good workforce. So between the tip sharing system that we have for our service staff and the bartenders and then the tip the kitchen that we have for the kitchen staff, that sort of, you know, that's, that's your, that's your blood flow. That's your, that's what makes it happen for you every day. These are the, these are the sales forces is the people that, that bring in the revenue for the store. And so to have that and to have sort of the, the top level leadership in place can guide the ship anywhere you want to go. The mid-level management is what allows you to steer it with nuance and specificity, um, where you can avoid the, you know, the rocks or the, the icebergs, um, you know, right now we're just a big giant ship steaming ahead going a million miles an hour and you need that depth to be able to provide you the, the steering capacity. So um, I'd say we have the infrastructure to grow. We're going to need to backfill, um, you know, some of those leadership positions and probably with the people that are in, 
you know, entry level or, or tipped or, or, you know, early level positions now would be the ones that ideally would fill those positions. Mm -hmm. Outside hires are, are obviously we've talked about this many times, not really our favorite thing. We like to yep. develop and promote from within. And so my guess is the thing that's going to fund our infrastructure more than anything else is just time. Mm -hmm. Just time to continue to bring in people, continue to train them and let them fill in the spots where we need them. Tell me a little bit about the MIT program, because I think that's important to this development, right? Yeah. So manager, uh, manager, training. manager and training. Massachusetts Institute for Technology. <laughs> yeah. We, we sent we all of our team to MIT. <laughs> <laughs> We've got rocket scientists. Um, so, you know, I think, how does that work? Like, what, what do you, you identify the people that want more, right? Mm -hmm. We got to that part. You know, you make it a, you know, a mutual understanding that they want more you think they're worth more and then they enter the MIT program. meeting of the mind, so to speak. Yeah. So what is, so what is the MIT program? How does it work? How long does it take? Right. What, what's the expectation for the executive yeah. leadership? What's the, you know, the expectation from the um, staff members that are doing it? I think, I mean, Ollie, Ollie should talk about this specifically about his training also, because he doesn't have an MIT program, but I would refer to what they do is more like a, like a apprenticeship. Yeah. Because that's so it's so specific and it's so mm -hmm. nuanced that that you really need to be right next to the person that's teaching you, mm -hmm. um, if you want to operate on the level that that, that he is. Um, for a for a manager for a chef, but I'm, we'll talk about managers since that's more my purview. Um, you know, we have classes, we have hour long classes, and the classes could cover any number of things. Typically, you know, there's certain functions that a manager needs to learn. You know, how do you what are the first, you know, what are the first five things you do when you are for first four things you do when you walk into a restaurant? Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do you manage labor? Um, where should your time be? Where should your eyes be during service? What should you be looking at? Um, uh, how do you know where there's a problem and what do you do to fix it? Those are the kinds of things that, that, you know, experience will teach you, but also you can kind of get a jump on by learning about from people that have had experience. And so we'll rotate in and out who does the classes. I'll do some, um, the GM of the respective stores should be doing some, the executive chefs. Um, right now the MIT program is very fluid in so much as that it, that's a nice way of saying that it's not well structured. <laughs> yeah. um, I think the point is to get these young managers that are motivated attention from people that have a lot of knowledge and just exchange ideas. I mean, you know, school works great, but they're going to learn that through a lot of repetition. Mm -hmm. I think what we provide, what our lead management provides, is experience and, and you know, that kind of specificity with their understanding of each situation that they can teach you in advance what to look for when it presents itself to you. So you got a problem table, steak's overcooked. You know, as a, as a new manager, you're going to be presenting that situation not infrequently. It's going to happen. Yep. Hopefully not too frequently. Come on, chefs. <laughs> um, we try. But, but it happens, <laughs> yeah. you know. And so being prepared to deal with that as manager is something that you can learn in advance. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that you can learn how to deal with each individual guest 100%. Right. But you can get the sort of the high points. It's like, okay, well, the ownership group would prefer that the guests leave happy than get their money. In that case, we, we made a mistake with their dish. And so we're going to comp the meal or that person's meal. We're going to get it out as fast as we possibly can. We're going to communicate in this way. We're going to tell the kitchen in this way. We're going to write it down on a ticket. All the things that happen from soup to nuts, no pun intended, for that, for that situation. 
and then take that situation and multiply it exponentially by all the different things that can happen when you're working during a shift um, and get the basics out of the way. And then you can start to expand from there. So MIT is, is, is about the functionality, but it's also about understanding sort of the vision and making sure that we're all on the same page as to what we want to get out of this. And that's the thing that I think the three of us, that's the thing that, you know, over 10 years at this point, we have to have something between the three of us that is the glue that keeps it together. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not the success of the businesses because there's been plenty of times where they've struggled, yep. you know, where we've struggled. Yep. Um, and it's not that we're best friends, although I think we all sincerely enjoy each other's company. Um, I think it's that we have a common view of what we're trying to get out of working in restaurants, being in restaurants, yep. um, that we had something to say and that it was important to us and this was our opportunity. And so that, um, that common ground uh, has made us better just by being together and hopefully that will translate to the people that work for us. How about you, Alejandro? I wanna, Pat made a good point about, you know, your, your training situation is a little different than mine is for sure. And, and kind of the classroom kind of structure that they have for the MIT. How do you approach training? Like, like, like go back to, you know, training Abby or maybe a new I mean, marketing are person. We training Emma? That's yeah. a good question. Like, how well, actually, Abby is the one hands on with that because A, they both live in Charlotte. They're both based out of Charlotte. They're in the same room together. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when Abby started, you know, obviously we were working together in the office, you know, five days a week and, and you know, we, we interacted with each other and talked to each other and, and basically, you know, showed her this is what I want to do. This is how I do it. And I want you to do it like this first. And then we'll adapt accordingly what you think might be a better way of doing it. I'm always open to it because, you know, the younger generation definitely has a better eye on things. A, they go out more, um, be their social media more. Um, so there are things that I don't know out there, and I'm always saying to myself, yeah, let's do, you know, I'm open to training, you know, changing the way I, I think, you know, because mm -hmm. some of the things I did in the past probably wouldn't work now, you know. So um, and I'm, I'm always learning, and I'm learning from, you know, them, and Abby's learning from me still. I think that's a great the first thing, by the way, yeah. to be able to listen to the people that work for you. Yeah. And to, you know, to kind of suspend your ego and, and like yeah, hear them and, and approach their ideas. There's so many times, you know, I would argue with Abby, why? And I why? And she says, this is the reason, this is the reason. I was like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Do it. Yeah. You know, I, I, whatever is best for, for the company, you know, and, and I, I, would, I would say yes to. What kind of things do you guys, when you were, when you're training and you're talking and like working together, what kind of things are you talking about? Like what, I, I honestly have no idea what you guys talk about. Like I know, I know the results cause I see it. Like I see it in the restaurants. I see the bodies at the late night parties. I see, I mean um, more like, I let's take social a media stuff, but like, what is the conversation? Like, what are you guys looking at? What are you, I mean, like, you know, we always talk about, you know, for example, Nashville, we just, we launched brunch. And how do we promote the brunch? You know, what are the vehicles, the avenues of ways of promoting the brunch? And we kind of have a system already. You know, you, first things, the press release. You, you work with your PR company, get the word out. And be, be, and along, along the line with that, you know, you, you, you create promotions, you know, um, through your social media outlets, through your, your newsletter. Um, 
through influencers coming into dine, things like that. Um, but we're always on the same page with that kind of stuff now. It's like kind of automatic, actually. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, here's the list of the 50 things you got to do when you launch, launch a brunch. And it, we make it, it, it just happens, you know? Yeah. It's not, it's not there's, there's no real hiccups anymore, yeah. Like, lunch is about to launch, I think, in a few weeks in Nashville. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we pick a date. We know when we're supposed to start the PR. We know when we start promotions. It's sort of like clockwork, to be honest. Once you're there living in a city and learning, you know, the, the market already, it's the ones that are newer to your, the newer markets, that is a little bit difficult. That's why you have to move out there for six months and learn what's going on, which is like Denver would be a good example. So. Tell me a little bit about that. So what does that look like for you? Because um, obviously you, you know, we all go out together when we when we find a new market, right? We have, yeah. We've got Pat's crazy board with all the demographics and shit on it um we end up picking some some spots that sound interesting and and then do the site visits and all that and then once we get to the point where where we all agree like hey this is this is is a great market like let's do this you know we got to get somehow dialed into that market how do you do that like what is you know you're talking about maybe six months ahead of schedule in denver you'll have to be out there so what do you do exactly Find an apartment first, yeah, <laughs> and then and you just go out and and you just meet. When the you're w- looking for an f- apartment, what are you looking for? Is it close to the restaurant? Yeah, definitely close like to the restaurant. In the area, or has to be in the area. Also, extra bedrooms so you guys could like crash. Yeah. Um, and um, but it's about just going out there, meeting the right people, finding the right PR companies is 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 key. Um, finding a a, a marketing coordinator that you could hire to join a team that's you know preferably local that lives there um preferably who's already been in the business probably um and 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 more importantly just going out there and meeting the right people um who has the same kind of like you know mindset as you in the sense of when it comes to the restaurants or hospitality in general mm-hmm. you know who would be there to support you are you looking specifically for people that do marketing for restaurants or bars or are you just looking for like someone a- who's a good networker a good marketer you know uh, you don't have to be a, a good marketer you know coming from the restaurant business you could be a good marketer coming from the bank or some other business it's just transferring over your knowledge to the restaurant scene mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's not that hard actually yeah you know it's just certain things you got to do the fundamentals fundamentals of it so so what's next after, what are the aspirations for each of you guys outside of, let's say, Church and Union Denver, right? So we're going to get Ophelia's rolling this year. Next year, we're going to crush out Church and Union Denver. You know, that, that's going to take some time. You know, that's going to be a 12-month project where we're constantly out there, constantly, you know, um, working on it to get it where we want it to be. But then what does the future look like after that for you guys right now? I think, you know, while we're building that out and then targeting those other two or three cities, um, I think if, if if it works out, you know, in our schedule, you know, I always told this to Pat that, you know, we should open up a hotel. So I see that in our future. That's something you want to do? Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, being in the hospitality, it's part of the, being in the hospitality business. A lot of people I know, you know, growing up in New York, they, they, they were either promoters or in the nightlife business, transferred to restaurants, and now they're hotel guys. What does that vision look like for you? Do you have any sort of, have you given any thought to like, what region feels right? What do you want to do? Do, do you want, you know, our group to own and operate this hotel? Do you want, like, what is that? Yeah, I mean, I hope that could be 
part of our future. So, I mean, I'm yeah. seeing I'm seeing that in the next five years, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Do you have a, Do you have a locate like a preferred preferred location location? I mean, or after it, I mean, obviously Charlotte it? would be ideal because we're originally from there, mm-hmm. and our main base is there. But now living in Nashville. You know, Nashville is a whole different beast. Seems it's a like beast. there's opportunities everywhere. Yeah. So maybe Denver, who knows? You know, whatever is the best option at that moment. You know, who knows? A landlord might say, hey, we'll give you this building. And, you know, and with the best deal, and we say, okay. It's- yeah. That's true. You never you never can't tell. We've had some 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 things just kind of fall out of the sky for us, for yeah. sure. Yeah. How about you, Pat? What is, um, what's the future vision for, for you and in the group and look like I, I think that we need well I, my hope is that um the growth will be secondary to our ability to continue to try to innovate it within the industry um that's the part that i find really interesting um you know something that we don't ever talk about amongst the three of us is that you know we don't have to be this involved we don't want to like we don't have to go out to Denver and do all that. Like we've got a model that's proven and it might take a little longer to start up, but you know, we can just pay people to go do all that and, you know, do what most restaurant guys do, which is, you know, you go out there a couple of times, you make sure it looks good. You pay the right people. They do zoom calls or FaceTime, but you know, that's not our approach. We take a lot longer cause we are focused on every detail. And I think with that logic is, that that kind of, again, specificity with our knowledge, I'd like to try to apply it and do something good and try to make some changes in the industry. Um, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, especially right now, but you know, I think that the restaurant industry has been very good to us, but I think it's been very hard on us too. I know I feel that way. Mm -hmm. And we in turn have made it harder on the people around us sometimes. And I think that we are all aware of that and are trying to, to fix that and to try to take some steps to make the business better. And so surrounding ourselves with really intelligent people that are like-minded and motivated, um, that are gonna come up with ideas, like Ollie was saying, that you know are part of that younger generation that are gonna see things differently than the way things have quote unquote been done, um, is important. I keep saying to, to the lead management, I don't wanna be a restaurant group anymore, I wanna be a think tank. Mm-hmm. You know, I want us to come up with great ideas that we give away for free um, that are going to make our business better. I mean, our model works. I mean, how many restaurants do we want to open and just just fire them out on a conveyor belt? I just, that's just not very interesting to, to me. I know you guys don't really want that either. Um, I just want to do stuff that's going to be – it's going to make a difference. You know, when we had something to say in the beginning, the way that we could say it was via opening a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, now we have a different kind of platform than we did then. And I'd like to take advantage of that platform for, for something positive and for something that is going to make, you know, whoever the next Jamie is or all of your Pat, um, you know, which some of them work for us right now, mm-hmm. make their lives easier and not have to, to, you know, go through some of the toxic insanity that, that the restaurant business is so markedly known for. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I want. I say that to to the the back of the house leadership all the time. I'm like, guys, like my whole job right now is to let you guys to to show you guys a path to where we are at, where you don't have to take the long road, you know, right? Because like, a lot of that, you know, I don't regret my path to get where I'm at. I think it 
I think it helped me develop professionally and, and, and all that stuff. Um, and personally as well. But, um, but it was a long road that could have been (laughs) much easier. Um, and I could have spent a lot more energy on more productive things. I think that if we can get some of our teams to do that, you know, the sky's the limit for them. Do you have any thoughts percolating in the back of your head about what that next innovation might be? I mean, we, we should, I mean, maybe we should do a whole podcast about Hmm. tip the kitchen because that is, I think tip the kitchen right now is just taking off. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of buzz around it. Mm -hmm. We're doing podcasts, we're doing news clips and all that stuff. And, and I think obviously that's our main focus right now. Cause I think that that for real is, is an industry changing initiative that, that will end up being the future mm-hmm. for hospitality. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think part of, part of our mission is to prove that, mm-hmm. right? It's like, okay, we're gonna implement this in all our stores, we're gonna show that it works, mm-hmm. we're gonna do it in Denver, we're gonna do it in Nashville, we'll do it everywhere we go, to show that it works. Amazing idea that was, you know, that happened through, came out of this whole pandemic thing. Are there any other thoughts and percolating in the back of your head of what the next innovation could be? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the thing that the restaurant business needs to do, and I actually heard this just recently earlier today, um, but this is true across the board, is that, you know, we need to do a better job of integrating, like, communication to make everyone's lives a lot easier. You know, I, this, the, the example I gave today was this, this red button business model, which is that if you book a reservation through OpenTable or Resi or some software, that, that every guest is given the option to press the red button once every meal. Every table, not every guest, but every table does. And that ensures that the manager will get an update on their phone or on the point of sale terminal saying that table 20 needs you right now. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it speeds up the time during which most of the anger happens at restaurants. Mm-hmm. There is a problem with a table, whatever it is. And they want to communicate it to somebody who's able to fix the problem. Right. But they have to wait for the server to come back or a busboy or a bartender or whatever. They got to wait. Mm-hmm. And then that person has to go find the manager or managers and go get them. And they have to wait for that. Mm-hmm. And by the time the manager comes back over, let's say it's a, it's a you know, undercooked steak and you're waiting for somebody to come um, fix it for you, your, your table's eaten half of their meal or more. Right. And so all you're guaranteeing you is they're going to be pissed. Yeah. Whereas this could speed things up, it's all you know on a device, and so there's some there's, sort of app or something. It's, it's not you know you're not no guest is snapping their fingers or waving somebody over, which inherently makes you know the staff member is angry because nobody likes to be snapped at. Right. You know the manager has a heads up of what they're walking into before they walk into it, so maybe there's a drop down option that says like you know food cold, yeah. food issue, yeah. service issue, whatever. Right. Right. Um. And, and it allows the managers to do their job in a way that's less confrontational and faster and more mm-hmm. efficient. And it's more efficient at a time that you really need efficiency. Mm-hmm. You need to get them their stake or their problem solved as right. fast as you possibly can. And frankly, your, your responsiveness is something that could be quantified ultimately in the review site. So when the reviews come up, if somebody gives a bad review... Mm-hmm. And did it's you, like, well, did you click the red button? Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, then why are like, yeah. why you didn't you give them the opportunity review? to fix this? Right. If they click the red button and it gives the, maybe the business the opportunity to give a response as to what they did, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe that's a whole new feature of reviews. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, you know, so I think if we can, the biggest problem with the restaurant business, as far as I'm concerned, is that it's a toxic, unpleasant place to work sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
but the level of toxicity and the unpleasantness of it is unparalleled to most jobs. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really hostile and unpleasant at times. Right. And I think our job is to try to narrow that and try to try to try to minimize that feeling. And so anything that we can do to speed the process up. I mean, look what Open Table has done. Yeah. In the old days, you'd have a dude with like a giant book. <laughs> you know, and they'd have and, to like and, figure and out if they wanted you or not. You have to sit there and argue with the guy on the phone whether you get a reservation or not. I mean, this is the old way of doing things. Right. Now it's you go online. They have availability or they don't. Yep. And the restaurant controls what they have. And the guests can elect to go to a place or not based on the time that is available. That is minimized the amount of nasty negative. I mean, maitre d's historically, do they have good reputations as being like likable, approachable people? Or is it like they're mean, nasty, grumpy? And I understand why they are. Cause I was when I used to do that job. Yeah. Cause it's hard fielding, you know, guest needs. And so if this is a way we can kind of limit that, then, then it might work. I don't know. We got to pitch open table, I guess, or resin. <laughs> Sounds like you just got to work out the details of I, how this. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a good idea. <laughs> oh, how about you, Al? Any ideas? I think I brought this up already with you guys. Maybe I haven't, but you know, starting a uh, uh, something part of the, our group where we do a philanthropic charity department in our in our company. You know, try to raise money. Yeah. Good I mean, things. I think that's a no-brainer. I think that's yeah. something that we got to do. But I, I think, you know, a dedicated department just to do that. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm already starting to work on it. You know, we could do a lot. You know, we could, we're already doing a lot with the, the children's hospital, you know, but we could do more with other, mm-hmm. and we could do in all the cities that we're at. So, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll hear about it in the next couple of months when we launch it. So Nice. Yeah. I think we're a group of ownership that's unique in so much as that I don't, think any of us really like know or are ready to have lots of money like (laughs) i like i think that we all do pretty well frankly i think people's understanding of how guys in our position do is very flawed you know that we're rolling around like scrooge mcduck in some giant you know water tower filled with gold doubloons is not a realistic description of what our lives are like the three of us live together With our dogs and our kids and our spouses or significant others, um, you know, during COVID. Yep. Um, You know, it's so we're, I think, about to break through to the other side of that economically. But the economics have never been the motivation for us. And so when we're in a position where we have a larger platform economically, I think we I I don't want all that. I, I would like to put a lot of it to use, whether it's seed money to people that work for us for a restaurant or a bar or something that they want to do or an idea they have, or it's working with charities like Alejandro's described. I love, I love the idea. I think it's uh-huh. awesome. I know other restaurant groups have done it. I think, you know, us putting our own, you know, touch on it and our own branding is going to be really interesting and fun. Yep. Um, but I think being motivated by more than just money is a really, really important part of this. And that's not to say that yep. we don't care about being profitable. We do, mm-hmm. but you know, I think if it's a choice between making a really great living, but also being able to have people around you make a livable wage versus making crazy money and then everyone around you is broke all the time, like I don't think it's much yeah. of a question for us. Yeah. I totally agree. I had I was talking with um, the chef team in Charleston today, and uh, we were talking about that exactly, um, how Tip the Kitchen has influenced their teams um, and their turnover and all that good stuff. Um, and how the investment that we decided to make 
right? Like, I think that was like, that was the kickoff point of how we could get Tip the Kitchen to work, right? Was, okay, this is going to cost money. Like, yes, the, the guests are going to, you know, participate and, and leave some tips. But that's not enough. That's not enough to get people where we want them to be. We need to pay people more. So we did that. That raised all of that raised our operation costs, which dips into you know profitability and all that stuff. That alone wasn't enough, and I think that's where the match came in, right? It was like okay, so we as ownership have to agree that there is a, a there's a a percentage of our business that we're willing to not take home to share with our teams in order to get them to a place where they're in, you know, um, and that to me is super inspiring. You know, I think it's super inspiring to them as well. You know, the fact that we're able to give back to them and say, hey, you know what? Like, we don't need to make 15%, you know, um, profit margin. You know, we're okay with 12 or whatever, you know, whatever the number is. And I think that that, like, being, share, sharing that with your team, it, it, it's inspiring for them to work for people that are willing, that, that aren't in it for, for the money. You know, like you were saying. People hear that too. It's, I got to go off. Yeah. People hear that too. And it's like, I tell you, it's very strange. The world that we live in is like how desperate we are to, to categorize and describe the people around us. Mm -hmm. We're so unwilling to like look hardly hard at ourselves. That's not made up. I mean, I think that we sincerely want to share in the success and that we've demonstrated it with our business models and it takes, it takes proving or it takes the proving right. to, to do it. And so, you know, we've recently made, what is it? Six people now, uh, equity partners in our restaurants. I think that's right. Yep. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Madison White, Adam Hodgins, Lauren Kearsley, Alexa Anderson, or Alexa Gorman now, um, Abby Armstrong, and Nick Newton. That's the six. Yep. Um, and now Alex Spencer as Alex Spencer. Uh, well, that's profit share. Those, profit, those guys are equity. Share. Yeah. So if they leave, they still right. own yeah. what they own. Um, and then Alex is profit Alex share. Alex is profit share. Um, we actually have a few profit share. And so um, I think, you know, it makes you feel good, but it's also really good business because that means that you don't have turnover. You don't have all the misery that goes with it. You don't have to worry about calling somebody 10 times about a problem. Yep. You call them once and how much is your time worth? It's just, you know. They're invested. You know, prioritizing your people over your profits leads to better profits. Mm -hmm. And I think people just got to, it's like greed is just for the birds, you know, you, you, especially in what we do. Maybe there are industries out there where, it, you know, that efficiency yeah. has value. But like for us, you need to have tons and tons of people to make this go. I think we have 400 employees in our company, which is wow. just ridiculous yes. to think about. That's great. But it's like, they're not going to work for you if, if, if you treat them poorly, especially your lead management and your chefs. Mm -hmm. If you treat them like shit, they're going to go work, especially now, like they're going to go work somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and so we need to put them in a position where they can see a real path forward. It's just sort of the point that we kind of keep coming back to is, is that fixing the world economically for them allows them to stay the path, mm -hmm. you know? Um, there's always gonna be examples like you, Jamie, that, you know, go through the ringer mm -hmm. and just put up with everything and deal with all the insanity and the insanity that is imposed upon you and the insanity that you impose upon yourself as being part of this industry. Um, there are always gonna be people that make it through that. But there are so many people that, that could have, but just economically can't because their job doesn't pay them right. And so by fixing things economically, whether it's by the way of the kitchen, $15 minimum wage, or some of the other stuff that we have in mind down the road, I mean, I'd love to have health insurance for everybody in our company. 
we got it quoted. I think it was a million dollars. And I was like, well, how do we do that? Yeah. Like, I, okay, fine. I'm yeah. down. But yeah. like, how do we get to do that? Do we add yeah. another line on the tip on the receipt? Like, that's, <laughs> right, you know, yeah. sooner or yeah, later, yeah. it's too much. And so right. you got to figure um, it out. You got to figure it out. Yep. And so that's, that's sort of, that's what I want for our staff. And that's what I want um, our company to be is I want us to be, you know, the kind of company that prioritizes our people and then prove that that's at times even more profitable than people that the places that don't. And then hopefully people will change their approach. So I wasn't sure how to answer that question that I asked you guys when we started this conversation, but I think through this conversation, it kind of led me to what, what my answer to that question would be. Right. And so the question is like, what, what do I think, right? The, the future looks like for me or for us or what I want it to look like. And I think that the answer now, after talking with you guys today, is I would like for us to go down a path of um, hospitality activism, to be working, taking our expertise, taking our experiences, our successes with what we're doing in our own businesses, and somehow you know, activating that in the industry and getting other people to do it and using whatever influences or power or connections or whatever we have to, to try to make that happen. Any last thoughts, guys? How was my rookie uh, debut? You were awesome. Dude, you talked You talked at least 80% more than I thought you were, which is amazing. <laughs> I thought we were going to have to, like, pry some stuff out of you. You were, you were great. I can't wait to do it again. Will you do it again? Yeah, between yeah, I'm sure we could do stuff like the actual work. <laughs> did you, Podcast. Did, did you enjoy it? How yeah, was it was it fun, actually. It's, it's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I could do this again. All right, guys, thank you so much for the hour. Thanks a lot. I think this is good, good content for people. Woo. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Eating Habits and Pod- Pod- Podcast.